today. I am here to give you the assurance that I have not forgotten you. If we want to see the new evangelization become more than just jargon, if we want to see it grow legs and gain traction and change the world, we have got to take seriously our responsibilities as husbands and fathers and especially as sons of God. I want to propose to you then that something that our world is desperately in need of in the midst of this crisis is Catholic Christian masculinity. If you want to be a good father, then bring your children to confession with you. I can't get there unless I become a man of ascesis, a man of asceticism, a man of training. A man not doing penance, a man not disciplined, is not a man. You guys have upped your game. You know what, guys, I gotta say, I, I love this the concept of man show. Warning, the Catholic Man Show is about to begin. Welcome to the Catholic Command Show. We're on the Lord's team, the winning side. So raise your glass. Adam Minahan here, sitting with David Niles in studio. We have a very special guest uh, this afternoon as we uh, are in the Eucharistic Revival. We have Eucharistic Revival speaker, Father Craig Vosick from yeah. um, Minnesota, priest of God, a friend of Father Pratt. And Bishop Muggenberg, among many others, he has. He's told us he has yeah. many friends. At least five. At least five. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Really. Right. I mean, if you have five friends, what else do you need? That's very. Yeah. It's good enough. Maybe one enemy just to keep you busy. <laughs> <laughs> Give you like as a hobby. Yeah. Like a hobby enemy. Yeah. Uh, you know that can be fun sometimes. Yeah. I appreciate <laughs> you being here. Uh, here in the diocese of Tulsa in eastern Oklahoma. This is not your first time to the diocese. Oh, no. you're also a friend of uh, Father Sean Donovan's. Exactly right. Classmates, uh, yeah. Who's, oh, very cool. Who's a, a we, good we, friend of ours. We like him. I like him we, too. We went to Ireland with him last year. Oh, nice. On a pilgrimage. That yes. could be fun. Pilgrimage? Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, it, <laughs> it, was was, a, it was a legit pilgrimage. It was a, it was a pilgrimage. It was a whiskey church, tasting. church and whiskey tour is what it was. And beer. And beer. And beer. Yeah, well, obviously. Yeah. Wow. But it's just like water. You, know, just like, you, it's, <laughs> right. you don't you don't tell people. Oh, oh like I went to Europe and I drank water while I was there. Yeah. It's like well, obviously. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, yeah, he's uh, we we uh, love Father Donovan. He's, he's mm-hmm. a great priest here in the diocese. He just knows things, mm-hmm. and it's like I don't know how. It's like where, you, Dave. I didn't when did to... you when did you know that? Oh yeah, he's smart and he just compiles things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know who else he knows? Uh, Monsignor Shea. Oh, yeah. Ooh, I also really like him. Oh yeah, he's the best. Yeah, he's one of my friends. I I sat next to him for like thirty seconds when I decided, yes, <laughs> this guy. I, yeah. I, I want to be your friend. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Please, can I go with you? Yeah, wherever it is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know where you're going, but <laughs> let me come. Your people will be my people. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> okay. So yeah. we're gonna talk about Jesus as right we on. as we. Uh, like to do on the Catholic Man Show, yeah. Um, specifically, you you actually went to uh, Rome not too long ago, yes, to see Pope Francis and get something blessed. Dude, it was epic, dude. It was it was so epic. I am going to frame everything about that trip on the wall for life. I was tasked with the revival to find a monstrance big enough for eighty thousand people at Lucas Oil Stadium for next year. And uh, turns out that a four-foot monstrance is about the right size. Um, and it's huge. It comes apart so you can like carry it in procession, but then it's got this huge base as well. But we brought the whole thing, uh, shipped it across the ocean, brought it to the Holy Father, presented it to him. He looked at it and said, ah, e grande, e bello. It's, it's big and it's beautiful. And we're like, yeah, we agree. And then he wrote this beautiful You're talking reflection. about the monstrance? Or... <laughs> oh, you mean the monstrance. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and... Um, and so, like, he gave this remarkable address on on the Eucharist, on adoration, um, on Eucharistic living. I mean, he just, he nailed it. He, he basically let us uh, have free reign for the rest of the revival, saying, we have the Holy Father 
uh, totally supporting our endeavor. And in the picture where Bishop Cousins, who's leading the revival, is presenting the monstrance to the Holy Father, sitting behind them, pretty much blocked by the monstrance, which is totally fine by me, is me. So like, <laughs> I'm like half my face is in the yeah. picture that was in the La Zivitura Romano newspaper. That oh, comes sweet. up from the Vatican. I'm like, yeah. dude, I am framing that for sure. Anyway, so I carried a monstrance into the Pope's house. Nice. And it was awesome. So how heavy is it? It's heavy. I don't know. 40, 50 pounds. Okay. Yeah, it's substantial. But, but, but one person... One person can one person carry, carry. It for a little while, but the idea with this one, because it's the the main uh, monstrance for the Congress, is that it'll be mounted on a truck for the citywide procession, on an altar, on a truck. And then as they process into the stadium, that's when they'll take the base off and one person will carry the Blessed Sacrament, it's like a 10-inch host or 12-inch host, okay. uh, into, the, into the stadium, but can, only have to carry it for a few. Can little. you just like buy a 10-inch host? Uh, probably like you could just like but, go to the the Catholic store and no, it's, buy one. Not a lot of people have these, so it's specialty, but um, there are places that make them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna talk about Jesus again. We're gonna yeah. talk about like who is this guy? Yeah. Let's start there. Right. So the Eucharistic revival um, is all about presenting again. I mean, it's it's this nothing new. Right, the Eucharistic revival is nothing new, but it's everything true. It's everything real. It's everything Catholic, and so uh, everything that I'm going to say, you'd be like, "We already knew that." It's like, well, we need to know it in a way that moves us uh, into living like we know it, mm. living like we believe it. Because yeah. we have a lot of people that are not going to mass. We have a lot of people that don't believe these things. We have a lot of people that are like, "Yeah, so what?" And so we have to start with Jesus. I think we just have to start with Jesus. Uh, who is he and what did he do for me? And so to start with what did he do for me, I, I typically, when I'm talking to people, ask them, well, I'll give them a multiple choice question. Did he, and some of these are obvious, right? That they're not true. Did he um, take my great life and make it even greater? Some people talk that way. It's like, my life was sure. great, but then like I added Jesus and it was even like greater. Like, no, 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 no. Do you, do you remember the whole cross part every day? <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. So, um, so who, what did he do for me? Well, he took my great life, made it even greater. Clearly we can dismiss that because like you don't need him. Um, he made my- Yeah, what a shallow thing to pursue anyway. Yeah, it's like take it's it like, or leave it. Right. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, my life's great. You know, it sounds like this Christian thing, like there's kind of a lot involved and- if it's just taking a great life and making it greater, it's like, you know, I'm fine. Exactly. And that's what we have a lot of people doing. Mm. I'm not casting judgment on anybody, but this is happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like this is happening. People are like, oh yeah, like I was doing that. And sometimes I don't do it. It's like, no, that's, then you don't know Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a second option would be he's taken my kind of crummy life or a mediocre life or a bad life and he's made it better. Okay. Well, still not, that may sound kind of right. It's like, yeah, I was kind of whatever and he's made it better. Still not enough. Oh, how about this one? He's taken my sick life and he's made me whole. Hmm. Okay, now we're getting somewhere, but still not right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the sickness we have is not just a sickness of body, it's a sickness of soul. He's taken a dead man and he's made him alive. That's yeah. option D. Now there, there we go. And that's the one. Yeah. That's it, because uh, the way that the scriptures talk about this is not that he came, into, he's, he came to Israel and said, hey, everybody, everything's going great, and now just be great with me. Or, you know, right. your life's not that hot right now, but like it's going to be hot with me. Or something. He's like, no. He's like, I've come for the lost. I've come for the broken. I've come for the dead. St. Paul gets right to the heart of the matter. While you were lost in your transgressions and sins, and while you were dead, Christ died to make you alive again. That's the gospel that we have to know and we have to live from because then he's not a take it or leave it kind of guy. He's a, if I don't have him, I have nothing. Without him, I'm lost. Without him, I'm dead. Without him, I am damned. And with him, I have salvation. So if we don't catch that first, um, then we just, we're not going to catch it at all. Okay. So I, I we, we talked to a lot of guys about our age who are like trying to pursue, you know, a life of virtue, trying to pursue a life of holiness and as you're climbing out of the throes of different sins that you're trying, you know, you're trying to um, alleviate or like uh, get rid of, and a, a better way of saying that. But um, you you have this struggle of like, I wish that Christ would fight for me as hard as like this struggle is. Like, I wish that He would fight for me harder. Like, 
there's this, I've heard guys say like, man, I just wish that Christ would fight for me as, as hard as like, it seems like the devil is fighting to get me. Mm-hmm. What would you say to those guys? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I w- there's a, there's a whole host of things that I would say. One is that, um, the battle that we fight, um, as St. Paul says, is not of flesh and bone, but it is of, of spirits and principalities and wars of the underworld. Okay, so that, that is the war that we're fighting, but we're also fighting against not only the enemy of our nature, we're also fighting against our wounded nature. Uh, so it's me and the devil against me. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's broke. And then you throw the world into the whole mix. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you got all those things, but like none of them are even um, close to as strong as Jesus in any way. Like a lot of people put like the devil and Jesus on the same level. They're like, we'll see him duke it out and see who wins. It's right, like, right, right. Uh, no, uh, maybe you could stick to the angels on the same level as the demons because they're both the same kind of creature. Yeah. And you can say, okay, we're going to watch them duke it out, except that the saved angels have Christ as their commander and the uh, fallen demons have nobody as their commander. They don't ha- they just are fallen and without a commander. And so th- that's not even on the same level because right. the commander is Christ. So it's, it's the It's war. like they're all on crutches. You know, yeah. it's like, who, who's going to win? The dude with the crutches or the healthy... Like, obviously, the dude in crutches is not going to win. Right. The Lord of the host of armies, uh, the host of the armies of the Lord are going to win every time. So the way that I typically put it for guys is um, we are ants, but the devil is a tree, but the Lord is a mountain. Okay, so we'll pick up this thought on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Catholic Man Show. We're here with Eucharist Revival Preacher and Minnesotan. Is yeah. that, how do you say that? Is that correct? Minnesotan? Yeah, Minnesotan. Okay. Father Craig Vossick. We'll be right back. Listen, I know this is going to be a tough sell for you guys, but humor me here. This October, hundreds of Catholic men gathered together from around the world at Estes Park, Colorado, beautiful Estes Park, Colorado, in October. It's going to be gorgeous for a five-day adventure dedicated to helping everybody build a better prayer life, forming up virtue and a life beyond Exodus 90, and having brotherly fellowship, getting to know one another, most likely over a pint. Join us, exodus90.com slash the summit. We're going to be there. Dave and I, we're going to be giving a talk. We're going to have a live Catholic Man Show episode there. Join us, exodus90.com slash summit. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles with Adam Minahan. Our special guest today is Father Craig Vasek. 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 Correct? Isn't that how yeah, you say it? like boss. Voss. Gotcha. Vasek. <laughs> nice. I like that. I will remember it now. <laughs> Craig Vasek. <laughs> that guy is so boss. <laughs> I thought he was bossy, but whatever. Yeah, it's true. Uh, so, Father, you were talking about, you know, Christ helping us, you know, because Christ matters in our life. Um, and you had that, I think a, a very good analogy about, you know, what does that mean? Well, you were dead. Now you're alive, mm-hmm. but also he, there's more than just like, okay, something happened when I accepted Christ, when I became a Christian, when I was baptized, mm-hmm. but throughout our life, he continues to work in us. And you were kind of talking about that, about, mm-hmm. is he fighting for me? How am I overcoming sin? So right, right, you- right. So the, the image that I typically use with people is that we are an ant as far as size, so it doesn't really work because anyway, you'll see. Uh, we're an ant. The devil is um, is a tr- is a tree compared to us as far as like size, so strength, smartness, whatever, wisdom. Uh, probably not wisdom, I guess, but intellect, capacity. And uh, the Lord is uh, a mountain, but that doesn't really work. So it's better like we're an ant. <laughs> the devil's an ant eater, but Jesus is whatever <laughs> animal destroys ant eaters. Lion, I suppose. Yeah. But however you want to put it. So we ought not, we cannot on our own conquer the enemy. He's way smarter and he's been around way longer. So we don't need to fight him. We need to be in Christ because he fights him um, and he destroys him every time. So just uh, as one example of this uh, from the tradition, St. Ignatius says that the enemy is uh, cunning uh, and he's patient enough like a, um, like a military captain 
And as he comes up to take a medieval town, you know, so it's got a front gate, whatever, it's heavily protected, and it's got walls all around it. If he sees that the front wall is protected, the gate is protected, he's not going to attack there. He's been around long enough to it's know I'm obvious. not going to do it. I'm not yeah. going to do it. There's, there's protection there. He's going to case the joint. He's going to go around and find out where is the tower least protected, where is it weakest so that I can strike. And then he will find uh, that and he will exploit that until you stop him from exploiting it. Now, there's two principles there. One is the defense mechanism, which is the Lord. And then there's the structure of the wall, which is our virtue. And if, if we're weak somewhere, we need to work on that virtue and we need to bring the Lord along to be uh, the bow and arrow or whatever the thing on the wall so that when the enemy comes, he gets destroyed mm-hmm. when he comes there. So that, so I'd say to your friend, he, Christ is fighting, but he, or whoever the person might be in, in someone's life, um, they need to, they need to be in Christ and they need to say, well, where am I weakest? And I need to be more uh, diligent than the enemy with regard to this weakness in my life so that it becomes strong. Mm-hmm. So attack it head on. Like yeah. attack your weakness head on. Yeah. And oftentimes it's not just the weakness because it's the thing connected to the weakness. It's actually the weakness. So like um, what would be common? Um, anger, which manifests itself in lust. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not the lust, it's the anger or whatever the thing might be. But you got you to gotta figure out what it is and then like build it up as a virtue. I dig. I also like that. Yeah. So um, I want to kind of get back to this analogy that you're about you know why christ in your life because i think well the listeners of our show i think you know they're pursuing a life of virtue however what i think many of us don't have is a good answer to give somebody right when you're talking to somebody at work uh you know just to be able to say hey this is why this is why jesus is important to me Mm -hmm. this is why this is why you should buy in Mm -hmm. what do you say you know like do you have a an elevator pitch for, I mean, it's kind of the charisma, but right. Like, how do you do it? Yeah. So, uh, how do I do it? How ought a person do it? Uh, St. Paul says, I become all things to all people so that I may win at least some. And so I think, um, a one dimensional response is insufficient. I need to know the person. Mm. I need to get to know where are they at? What's their desire? What are they looking for in their life? And what's the next step for them? And I need to pay attention. I need to listen before I speak. Uh, so that if a person's like, well, I don't go to mass because blah, 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 and they say whatever they're saying, it's like, okay, so like, what's actually going on there? And um, appreciate at them in confession. Right. right. Okay. So you're, you're hurt. A, yeah. Whatever the thing might be. Yeah. And minister really to what's going on and then find out what's the next step to invite them towards a towards something, exploration or forgiveness or whatever the thing might be. That's it's it. I mean, um yeah. So I when people say here are the five things that you gotta do or whatever, I fine, whatever, but I don't do those. Uh I uh <laughs> I, I meet the person. I mean, and this is where I think the Holy Father is spot on with the words discernment and accompaniment. He what he means is get to know the person and walk with them. Like really walk with them, right. invest in their life, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So um, I think elevator things, um, you could just say, yeah, I love Jesus. He's just so great. And then they might think about something, but um, I think there's got to be a lot more to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the longer that I, you know, in, in, in my Christian life, I just come, I've come to the realization that evangelization does not happen until like friendship happens. Right. Uh, until like the virtue of hospitality is so crucial to welcoming people into the Christian life because mm-hmm. it's hey come share these good things that I have they're they're worth having um, and I want to share them with you mm-hmm. absolutely no we we have to journey together I'll I'll tell you what I do from the pulpit. Um, what I've, what I've been typically doing is I'm trying to bring about revival uh, in the Eucharistic revival is I take people through um, uh, kind of a, a double stereotype. Um, so the, now we're moving into kind of like ecclesial culture, I guess. Okay. But um, a kind of a double stereotype. So prior to the Second Vatican Council, it was hellfire and brimstone. And so we don't want to do that anymore. We, have, we want to preach a, a loving God. And uh, after the Second Vatican Council, as a stereotype, is like, well, we just don't... Um, we don't really mention any of those things. Like he's risen, and so let's live from the resurrection. 
And it's like, okay, not, and I think neither of these things works at all. I think both of them are half gospels, uh, and so they're no gospel at all. The full gospel is much more than that. The full gospel is, I was lost in my transgressions and sins, and because of what Christ Jesus has done on the cross, he has opened access for me to live a new life destined for eternity. And if I go around preaching, Jesus is alive, Jesus loves you, Jesus is alive, Jesus loves you, and people are like, I don't care, I already know I'm alive, and I don't care if he's alive, because like my life is fine, or whatever. If I don't make the connection that I was lost in my transgressions and sins, mm -hmm. and that because of what he has done as it is received in my life, um, then it just doesn't matter. Or if I just stick with, y'all going to hell, y'all going to hell, then it's like, well, then what was the cross for? I thought the cross was to save us, yeah. not to damn us. So it's all about Jesus. And so this pre-Vatican II stereotype of hellfire and damnation, where's Jesus in that? This uh, post-Vatican II um, stereotype of Jesus loves you, where's, the, where's his saving mission? In uh -huh. that, mm. what has he done? For, where, where were we before he did that? And so we have to catch the whole thing to catch the whole gospel. And so that's what I'm really trying to do. Is, that's why I asked this question at the beginning: like, what did he do for you? What did he do? What did he really do? I was dead in my sins and transgressions. That's Paul, and he has made me alive. You know, so this is this is what I do. I do a, a full gospel teaching because otherwise it turns into like a, a Marcionism. Uh, you know, like the old God of the Old Testament is bad. God right. of the New Testament is good. Uh, it's like no. God, prior to the Second Vatican Council, sent his son to die for the sins of the world. God, post-Vatican Council, sent his son to die for the, for the sins of the world. I mean, it's the same. It's the same. It's like, why did we? What? what I thought we changed on? that. That's yeah. what people say. Sing a new church into being. Like, without Jesus' cross or something. Like, with, like, what's going on here? So, it's to reclaim the kerygma, the real kerygma, the real saving message of Christ. And what he has really done. And so, as I personalize that, uh, then I start to live from that. We can get into that in this conversation. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Great. Yeah. So you obviously have to have both of these things with the the Eucharistic revival. You know, we're, we're we are proclaiming Christ. That's what the Eucharistic you know revival is mm -hmm. talking about. Hey, Jesus. Um, <laughs> and so without those both both sides of those coins, nobody like if you're just somebody walking going through your life, um, you're not a Christian. Whatever, you're not going to care. Right. If you don't have the first half, the you have to make them recognize. They need to recognize anyway that, hey, I'm also dead in my sins. Right. right? That I have without him. I have problems. I'm mm -hmm. I'm just not a complete person. I think that's a lot of the problem that we have today, people in the church and out of the church, is that um, we don't have a, an understanding of who we are. And I mean, it's rampant as you see all the you know uh, identity crisis that are all over the world because we just don't know who we are. Right. Um, and that's, I think, where you have to start with a lot of people. Then you can say, hey, Christ is the fulfillment. Christ, he reveals man to himself. Right? Right. So there's two, there's exactly right. There's two elements to this. One is who we are, and and then the second thing is what what is reality. So who, and I'll get to that, who we are, we're created good, we're fallen, and we've been redeemed by Christ. And so the rest of the life is to work on that healing, flourishing, uh, which is grace, uh, making us into what we were meant to be in the original image of God mm -hmm. um, and conform to his likeness. The second part, and this is, uh, I was really grateful for Peter Herbeck and Ralph Martin. I was in their studio a couple months ago. And Peter Herbeck said, Father, you can't have a Eucharistic revival if you don't preach the second coming. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, charisma is great. Um, but if charisma is just doesn't stop people from thinking that they're never going to die and then when they die, who cares and nothing's going to happen or whatever, but the Christ is going to come again, they're going to be judged, then there's nothing immediate. There's nothing like I need to respond because I could die tonight or Jesus could come again, whatever. And I was like, you're spot on. Thank you for that. It's very helpful. Hmm. So the hmm. eclipse, the eclipse of mortality, which we uh, live in, you know, we're all going to live forever and let's just make ourselves live longer. This whole idea, which is clearly so far, it's been proven a hundred percent of the time uh, that we all uh, have a hundred percent mortality rate. We know that um, that has to also be caught. So who am I, to your point, who am I really created, fallen, and redeemed uh, by the Savior? And then two, I'm not going to live forever, mm -hmm. and I'm going to be judged, and I'm going to go to heaven, or I'm going to go to hell. And the only way I get to heaven is in Jesus. If I'm not in Jesus, the other place is the only thing I got left. Which is not, does not sound uh, fun at all. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're here with Father Craig Vosick, like the boss. The bossic. 
the Bossic. <laughs> we'll be right back. Wouldn't it be nice right after you get up and you say your prayers in the morning, you could check your phone and get caught up on all things that are happening in the Catholic world? That's exactly what GetTheLoop.com does. Go to GetTheLoop.com. Make sure you let them know that we sent you. It's a really easy way to help support the Catholic Man Show because the more people we send to GetTheLoop.com for a free email, it's the only email that Dave ever reads. But by signing up for their email, you're also supporting us because they're supporting our show. This episode is brought to you by GetTheLoop.com. Again, it's the place to go to get daily emails that recap all the big issues from a Catholic perspective. Go to GetTheLoop.com. Make sure you tell them the Catholic Man Show sent you. Cheers. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. Talking about the Eucharist. Talking about Jesus. Father, one of the things that uh, Dave and I were actually talking about recently on a show was how we, we think about you know our, our, our judgment and how there's going to be so many opportunities or so many things revealed to us, graces that he wanted to give us, and we just like threw them away. And how like frustrating that's going to be mm-hmm. as far as like, man like the missed opportunities we had to cooperate with his grace. Uh, and then another thing we, we, we uh, discussed is like how many times we had the opportunity to go to mass and chose not to do it. Mm-hmm. Like if the mass is, you know, the Christian culture, if the, if the Eucharist is the source and summit of our faith, if it is like what we, like who we are um, and we don't go, how many times we're going to be like on our day of judgment would be like, man, what, like, what were we doing? Mm-hmm. How, like, what were we, like, were we even living? We we're just existing. We were not living, you know? And like, if, like, if we we're trying to teach our kids, if we're trying to, te- as, as husbands, uh, you know, head of the households, trying to uh, tell them like, listen, the, the most important thing we do is go to mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that's what we're trying to convey and that, then we only go like, you know, once a, once a week. That how like big of a missed opportunity that is like is that really mm-hmm. what we're trying is that really like is our actions really portraying or show, showing our kids that this is what's the most important thing right so yeah. are you asking him if he thinks people should go to mass more often I think yeah as a, as a priest <laughs> well, do I you think, think yeah. do you like the mass <laughs> let us have a softball <laughs> hit it out of the park uh, well I think you're touching upon something um, very tender um as it strikes me, we're going to be judged and we're going to weep. Mm-hmm. We're going to weep. I think purgatory, uh, this part of purgatory for this kind of person, uh, for everyone in, in some way, it's going to be this incredible sorrow, uh, seeing truth, seeing reality, seeing my life in the light of truth. I'm going to weep because I knew it was good and now I'm seeing it what it really is is good and I'm just going to lament it because because if I die in the state of grace and I'm on my way to heaven but I need to be purged of anything that is not right and I see this in my life and he and he judges everything um without partiality and I and I want his heart and his mind God's I'm going to weep and I'm going to weep bitterly because I I did not live according to that truth of who he is. Um, and that's going to be the, that's going to be a major, yeah, it's going to be bitter mm. to do that conversely, to try to get back to something that's not so sorrowful. Um, th- one of my favorite, one of my absolute favorite lines from any of the mystics at all is from this obscure um, religious sister. And she said, this is Jesus speaking to her. My work is wrought in the dark. So everything that he's doing for humanity, everything he's doing for me personally and, and for all of creation, everything that's going on, he, I'm, my work is wrought in the dark. And when it comes to light, you will marvel at its every detail. And so uh, so if there's going to be this bitter 
uh, sorrow in purgatory, the delight of heaven. This is the way that I oftentimes see a part of heaven and maybe the first phase of eternity. I don't know. But as he reveals everything that he did, and he reveals everything that didn't make any sense to me. And I was like, why? Why? What? How? Yeah. And as he reveals it to me, I'm going to marvel at every detail because now it's being brought. When it is brought to light, I'm, you're going to marvel at every detail. And I just start, it's almost like this prism that starts to turn. And as I look at every detail, I'm just like, oh. And then I look at the next one. Oh. And then I look at the next one. <laughs> Oh, and every detail of my entire life and how my life played into the greater scheme of other people's lives and the history of the world and all the things that came after and before that led to it. And I'm going to marvel at every detail of the providence of God. That is going to be an awesome first phase of eternity in my mind. It's just like, <laughs> oh, yes, yes, you know. So to get it back onto something that's not so bitter, but uh, it's like a roller coaster of wow. It's like it just <laughs> yeah. keeps getting better. Yeah, to like explosion, but you never explode, and you, and it doesn't hurt because it's awesome, and it's just expansion into eternity. It's like yes, yeah. Uh, I I think that uh, like to, to say something a little bit more positive, I guess. Like it'll be awesome to see every blessing that has been given to us on this uh, in this earth, and like how it manifests and played out. Like that we didn't realize, right? Yeah. So every time at the end of mass, when, when you know the priest blesses the whole congregation, every time you know you bless your child, you know before you go to bed, every time you know after after confession, you, you've been blessed. Like all these blessings in that, that have been transferred, like are transmitted to you, like, given, given, you yeah, given. That's given. a good word That's for better, it. Better. Um, it'll be awesome to see how it actually played out. Mm -hmm. in, yeah, like in, what was it? What was the blessing? Mm -hmm. It was like a grace to do something mm -hmm. specific because mm -hmm. God's grace. It's not like Oh, general. Mm -hmm. It's always very specific. Mm -hmm. and this gift giving. I'm yeah. looking forward to that just as a point of interest. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It'd be sweet. Mm -hmm. You're going to so, marvel at every detail. I will. I'll be like, that's what it was. Yeah. That was, that was, that was think, a good idea. I think yeah. it'll also be awesome to see you're how... You're so wise. Yeah. How, how what much if you're infinitely wise? Oh. Oh. oh, yeah. Check that out. <laughs> but I think it'll also be sweet to see how, how much... Uh, the angelic nate like the angels played a role in our everyday life i don't think we understand like we don't have that mentality that uh our guard the amount of things our guardian angels do for us all the good that that's pushing us in the right direction yeah uh and how they play a role in everyday life mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so anyway father um one of my favorite things is typology in the old testament um on during the break we were mentioning uh, dr brant petrie uh He's got a good book, Jesus, uh, and, Jesus the and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. Uh, we wrote a book, and someone suggested once, because I talk about this book so much, he's like, oh, you should have named your book Jesus and the Jewish Roots of Making Your Home a Holy Place. Because <laughs> our book is called Making, <laughs> Living Beyond Sunday. Living Beyond Sunday, how to, Making Your Home a Holy Place. And it was like, you should have named your book Jesus and the Jewish Roots of Making Your Home a Holy <laughs> Anyway, um, what are some of the, like, the things in the Old Testament that point to... Point to Christ in the new. Right. So I know we don't have a lot of time, so let's just situate a couple things in the New Testament and grab them from the old. So okay. you got the Last Supper, and then you've got um, the crucifixion, and then you've got the Mass, uh, which is which is those two things played out in time. Um, so you've got the Last Supper, it's a meal, uh, Passover, all these different things, and then you've got the cross, which is a Roman execution. Um, these things are all prefigured. I prefer executions at my meals. I mean, okay. personally, yeah. Right. Okay. I think you, it's <laughs> you're not invited over. I don't think. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to read that book. Then. <laughs> <laughs> and after dessert, we'll kill a guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't advocate this. Yeah. This is not me sponsoring this. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Last Supper and then cross. So, as you zoom back, the entire Old Testament is not just uh, a random collection of things that might have mattered for some people at some time. It is God writing a plot to be fulfilled in his son. Mm -hmm. The eternal word who is spoken from the father uh, knows what he is writing as he comes out. So the way that I love to talk about it is like, take Psalm number 22. Um, they, they pierced my hands and my feet. Uh, so it's my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This whole thing. And it goes through all these, they have, they've done all these things. Um, and it's, they have, they have divided my garments uh, and it goes on and on. Psalm 22, right? Yeah. This is a thousand years or less or whatever before Christ, but the eternal word Christ prior to his human nature 
wrote that psalm through David mm -hmm. so that he could fulfill it on the cross. Mm -hmm. uh, that is so awesome to just understand scripture, the Old Testament that way. It's like, this is Jesus before he has his name as Jesus, the, the eternal word, who is speaking the plot so that he, when he comes on the scene, it, it fulfills everything that he has set up. So uh, Passover, uh, what's going on at Passover? They need to kill some lambs. Uh, they need to gather for a meal. They need to drink some wine. Uh, they need to eat the roasted flesh. Um, and All it's of commemorative. It. Can't leave anything. This yeah. this is commemorative of Exodus, and then they're going to be set free, and the angel uh, will not kill their children. They won't die. Hey, this is coming back to what did Christ do for me? Mm -hmm. I was going to be dead, damned, mm -hmm. and he saved me. Well, what is that? We see that in Exodus, right? And so, um, so all of that plays out. Uh, the lamp, the the sheep are all coming in uh, to Jerusalem that week of Last Supper. Uh, Jesus gathers with his guys. Um, they're having the meal. Jesus uh, doesn't have a lamb for them to eat, but he takes bread and wine and says, "This is my body. This is my blood." And they eat that instead of the lamb. Mm -hmm. um, so it's all of this Old Testament stuff that he's now changing because he's bringing in, ushering in something new. Um, but then it points to the cross because he says, take this olive and eat of it. This is my body, which will be given up for you. Take, drink this. This is my blood, which will be poured out for you, which will be shed for many for the forgiveness of sins. So he himself connects the fulfillment of the Passover of a thousand plus years of Israelites, changes it, and then says, I'm going to fulfill it on the cross so that when he is crucified um, and Psalm 22 is being fulfilled and all these other things which you guys can fill in, it's all fulfilling everything that has already been anticipated in the old. And the two are inextricably united. They're one saving action for Christ. And that's what's replicated in the Mass. Right. Yeah, and... We don't have to get too far afield on this, but actually the Passover meal that Jesus, when he was instituting the Holy, you know, the Mass, and it doesn't actually end until the, on the cross. When he drinks, there was four cups, four cups of wine you had to drink as part of the Passover, um, and Jesus actually drinks the last one on the cross when right. he says, I thirst. And then he says, it is finished. Right, and so like the Mass and the, and the cross, mm -hmm. they're all, the cross is part of it. Right, and then what happens? Like, then the church is born out of his side. Yeah. When we get back, I want to ask you another <clears throat> question about this. Okay. We are going to the Holy Land, and we want you to come with us next year during the Easter octave. From April 3rd to the 14th, 2024, for 12 days, we will be in the Holy Land. And we would love for you and your wife and your family to come with us. We're only going to take one bus. A lot of pilgrimages take multiple buses, but we want this to be an intimate uh, opportunity for us to pray together, to eat together, to drink together, to have fun, but also to grow closer to our Lord. So check out selectinternationaltours.com slash catholicmanshow. Sign up today. Again, we're only going to take one bus, so it will fill up. Selectinternationaltours.com slash catholicmanshow. We look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to the Catholic Man Show. I'm David Niles with Adam Minahan. Our guest today is Father Craig Vosick. We're talking about the Eucharist. Yep. Jesus. Yep. Um, so, what what actually happens at Mass? Like, mm -hmm. cosmically, mm -hmm. what are we doing? Mm -hmm. Let me run you through some scriptures here. I'm just going back to my notes so we can just get it all. The Mass is the perpetuation of the sacrifice of Christ on the cross, the, the eternal sacrifice that he offers, which stands outside of time and space, which is now fully presented before the Father in heaven. Christ lives forever to intercede for us. Hebrews and Romans both speak to this. And so he is continuing this intercession as our great high priest, having offered it on the altar of the cross, and now that eternal offering is being uh, participated in daily on our altars. Okay, so it, and this is why I want to stay with the charisma because um, everything changes at the cross. 
Everything changes at the cross. I was uh, lost and I was dead in my transgressions and he shed his blood and his hands and feet were pierced to reconcile me to the Father. I just, we can't miss that. That's what happens at the cross. So at the cross, it all happens. The death of Jesus on the cross and the shedding of his precious blood. So just to kind of fulfill this, in John chapter 1, verse 29, John the Baptist speaks, fulfilling Old Testament prefigurements about the Lamb and about uh, the one who is going to take away sins and all the things that the, the Jews did to have a scapegoat and all these different things to get rid of their sins, but it could never work, right? He points to Jesus and says, behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. How does he take away the sins of the world? By shedding his blood on the cross. Revelation chapter 19 says, blessed are those who are called to the supper of the lamb. So in the end, there's going to be the supper of the lamb, which is already happening. Jesus before the father, that's already happening. And we're getting ready for it. We're participating in the earthly participation of the heavenly liturgy of that lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Regarding his blood on the cross, Hebrews chapter 10, it is impossible, excuse me, that the blood of bulls and goats should take away any sins. Uh, John chapter 19, they pierced his side and out came blood and water. Romans chapter 5, we're justified by his blood. Ephesians chapter 1 and 2, we have a redemption in his blood. We are brought near through the blood of Christ. Colossians chapter 1, he has made peace by the blood of his cross. Revelation chapter 1, Jesus loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Revelation chapter 5, worthy are you for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed us. And 1 Peter chapter 1, you were, you were ransomed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. So the blood of the lamb is what happens at the cross, and the blood of the lamb is what happens in the mass. Jesus, the same lamb of God who is now resurrected, continues his work of redemption by becoming present on our altars, body, blood, soul, and divinity, as we say, um, now crucified and resurrected to share of that heavenly life here in the earthly liturgy as we participate in heaven. And just to make that transition from the blood of the cross to the sacraments of the mass, here's an example. In Acts chapter 20, uh, they they are told to feed the church of the Lord, which he obtained with his own blood. And Jesus, we know, said, eat my flesh, drink my blood. Feed the church of the Lord, which he obtained by his blood. Feed him with what? Feed him with his blood. John chapter 6, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood. In verse 54, he who eats my flesh has eternal life. 55, my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. Verse 56, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So this is how we take the cross, the history of the cross, and how we make, how Jesus wants to fulfill it uh, through the sacramental economy of the liturgy of the church, of the new, the new covenant church. Take this all of you and eat of it and drink of it. This is what's going to be sacrificed for you and do this in memory of that, the cross, because we're not at the cross, but we need the cross. So how do we access the cross? Through the supper, which is the cross. Right. (laughs) That's what's happening. Yeah. Like the gift that we have in the Eucharist. And he's like, what is it that we're actually, what is the gift? It's, It's God's like divine life living and being given to us, right? You know, that mm-hmm. we would become more like him. Mm-hmm. It, uh, you know, and you see this in the book of Revelation, like you mentioned, where John has his vision of, of Christ appearing as a lamb, a lamb, like a lamb, as though slain. As a slain, and this standing. Is standing, exactly. He's alive. And this is, this is Jesus's eternal posture, if you want to put it that way, to before the Father, right? Mm-hmm. That he's this offering. Mm-hmm. Is this, um, is that why we call Christ the high priest, mm-hmm. right? That, mm-hmm. Because he's, he's, he's doing so it. So as, as mediator, uh, a priest mediates between the people and God. So a prophet takes the words of God and bears them to the people. A priest takes the people's needs and bears them before the Father in intercession. Christ as priest uh, mediates between humanity and uh, the Father, not simply on the cross, uh, but in his very person because he's God and man. The hypostatic union establishes him as the great high priest because he is doing the mediation in himself. Which is convenient. who this man (laughs) is. The God man. Um, Quiz question. And I mean to stump you. Okay. okay. I will not be stumped. What is the New Testament? The Eucharist. <laughs> Spot on. <laughs> Chapter and verse. Uh, 
Luke chapter 22. You got okay. it. <laughs> this job, chalice, uh. this chalice which is poured out for you is the new covenant, the new, new testament, testament right. in my blood. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, The it used to be called the books of the New Testament. It mm. wasn't until years and years had mm. gone by that mm. they shortened what we call the New Testament. Mm. It, they used to refer to it as the books of nice. the New Testament. Well, what is... I thought the books were the New Testament. Right. No. No. It's the new covenant ratified in the blood of Christ, mm-hmm. which we are to eat and to drink. It's so awesome. It so, is. So when we do that, we should be... Like, what should we expect? Should we expect, like, this... Uh, this, this holiness, like what, what should we expect? What are the fruits of having, uh, receiving uh, the life of Christ, living the life of Christ? Like what should happen in like you? Run faster right. or... Yeah, jump higher. Yeah. Like bench press uh, more. It like, should be Probably more, things. Mm-hmm. more hair, better well, hair. You know? yeah. Well, you've got good hair. <laughs> yeah. I, I could use some more. Huh? <laughs> Fighting a losing battle. Let me run through four things. Okay. I think... Uh, the Eucharistic revival is tied to four four different domains uh, that we would grow in holiness, that we would live a life of worship, that we would be living in profound charity, and that we would preach for the salvation of souls. These are the responses. Oh, this is not the Eucharistic revival's aims. This is the Christian aim that the revival is trying to recapture among Catholics. That we would understand the gift that has been given because I was dead and now I'm alive because of the work that Jesus has done on the cross and I was perishing and other people could be perishing if they're not in him. And so because I've received it so deeply and I know what that means for me and I participate in the heavenly worship at Holy Mass, I want everybody else. I don't want anybody to perish. I want everybody to be saved. So I'm gonna go and find out how can I convince everybody in the entire world that Jesus is the answer to their salvation questions and their meaning, their, their desire for, for purpose and meaning in their life. And so I'm going to find whatever way I can to grow and abide in him through holiness of life. I'm going to live in a profound union with him through the sacramental life of the church and worship. I am going to live a life of profound charity, uh, giving myself away, and I am going to go and preach to anybody who will listen in a way that can be received not just as an annoying right. person. Don't, don't be weird about it. Don't be weird. That's what Monsignor Shea says all the time. Don't be weird. Yeah. yeah. Spot on. Yeah. Okay, so who are some of the models for okay. these things? So we don't have time for all this. We can do We can do some. Okay. So holiness, St. Teresa of Avila, and the reason why I choose her when I talk about this is because she lived a totally lukewarm life in the convent uh, until she was 40. Then a priest finally told her what mortal sin was. And she's like, what? There's mortal sin? What is that? And he told her, so he's like, I got to get rid of these. There's big it's boulders so in my life. It's so hard for me to imagine. A lukewarm uh, Carmel? Yeah. Can you imagine or, a lukewarm Catholic church? Yes. Can you imagine lukewarm people that Jesus said, I'll spit you out if you stay this way? Can you imagine that? Adam. <laughs> Don't be God's vomit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, every the church, one of the titles of Holy Mother Church uh, or attributes is Semper Reformandum, always in reform, yeah. because we always we always fall to what's easy, mm-hmm. to life of complacency. Um, all natural things go to its rest. Yeah, I never do that. <laughs> <laughs> we are so good. Yeah. Um, so she's in a lukewarm convent. Someone finally tells her she's in mor- that there is such a thing as mortal sin. She's like, I got to get rid of these. And then after she gets rid of these big boulders, she calls them, then she realizes that the venial sins, the small boulders, weren't so small after all, and they were huge. And then she attacked the smaller boulders. She's growing in this profound union with Jesus. That's what we need. We need Christians who are profoundly evaluating, am I living a life in abiding union with Christ? And am I doing everything to rid myself of the things that are in the way. Okay, so that's St. Teresa of Avila. Second one, this is a great example. I love the Benedictines. So I use St. Bernard of Clairvaux because he's my favorite, and I'm a pastor of a parish called St. Bernard's now. But uh, the Benedictines in general... So take the their entire life is ordered around sacred worship, the divine office, mass, all these different things. So much so, so much so, and we, we shouldn't live our lives this way, but we should have the same attitude in a way, that everything revolves around God and, and sacred worship. If, if a monk, this is a tale they tell, I don't know if it's real, but this is a tale that they tell. If a monk is finishing uh, hoeing the garden, and let's say he's on the last row, and he has two more weeds to pull to finish, and the bell rings, he sets the hoe down. He doesn't say, oh, I'll just quick do this other thing. I'll do that other thing. He goes because everything is ordered to worship. And that bell says, obey your calling. Mm. And how many, I mean, so like, just let that speak into your lives mm-hmm. about like, well, I was like, oh, I'm going to do this first. I'm going to do that first. I'm going to do this thing. And I can just like couch or compromise or whatever. And I'm going to give this thing priority. 
because it's just convenient or whatever the thing might be. So I think the Benedictines are a great example of like, how is my life really ordered to the divine yeah. worship, right? Uh, I'll just throw out the other two and we can come back. Okay. So charity of living a life of radical love. Mother Teresa is a great example in our in our day and time because she was before the Blessed Sacrament every morning for an hour. I, I spend time with her nuns all the time. So I see this life. They're before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament for an hour and then they celebrate mass and then they go out to the poor because Mother said, if you cannot see Jesus disguised in the Blessed Sacrament, then you cannot see Jesus disguised in the poor. We have to learn to see him disguised in the Eucharist mm-hmm. so that we can learn mm-hmm. to see him disguised in the poor. Life of charity. And finally, the preaching of souls, St. Dominic, St. Anthony, St. Uh, all the saints that went out. They're just like, we're going to tell everybody about Jesus. We need those four things in our church right now. We're out of time on the radio. Go check us out at thecatholicmanshow.com because we're going to continue this conversation with Father Craig Vosick. We're on the Lord's team. The winning side. So raise your glass. And cheers to Jesus. Cheers. I think it is so tempting as a, you know, just a man who's constantly busy to, like, when you're, I was feeling very exposed when you were talking about the Benedictines. Mm-hmm. It's like, dadgummit. You know, because, like, if you don't order your, your, your life in prayer, like, and especially, like, when you first get up, you know, you, you start off your day in prayer. Because yeah. if you don't do that, then you're just like, oh, yeah, I'll start, yeah, I'll pray. And then all of a sudden your day gets busy, and then all of a sudden you realize it's 5 o'clock and I haven't prayed yet. And it's like, okay, it's all right. I'll, I'll pray with my wife at the end of the night. And then all of a sudden, oh, I'm so tired. I can't pray at the end of the night. And so, like, you, you'll go through the whole day and you'll stop and realize, I did not even pray. Uh, yeah. I have all these other things. And this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like, if the Mass is the source and summit of our faith, like, if, if, if this is what we're supposed to be doing, like, what... Like, is that actually the, the, the crescendo of what we're doing it, uh, every week? You know, is, is prayer orienting everything else and not everything else trying to squeeze in the get prayer in? Right. Feeling very exposed. <laughs> um, yeah, I was looking at you. <laughs> but I mean, this is the importance of, yeah, I mean, this is the importance, right, of, of, of having a, a, a well-ordered life and a well-ordered prayer life. Yeah. yeah. I do think, though, that there's that story about the, it's absolutely true. Okay. Knowing some of the one hundred percent true. Uh, <laughs> this is just the cynic in me. It's like, oh, good, I don't have to pick those last two weeds. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, the bell rang. Good, I can stop picking weeds. But I'm just right? kidding, you know. Well, but that is that is, I think, uh, uh, just the right attitude. Um, that our we're ordered to Christ. We're not ordered to activity. We're not ordered towards even success or outcomes. Right, that of course we strive for. We always strive for success in outcomes in the, in the things yeah. that we do. But um, the, we uh, one thing we've started doing in our family over the last few years is praying the Angelus at noon, mm-hmm. and I try to do exactly that, where um, you just stop whatever you're doing, just put it down, and we'll pray, mm-hmm. and then you can finish it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But um, it does have that effect of no, no. There's a priority in this house. And it's prayer, and it's God, and it's that relationship, and it does order things the right way. I'll give you an example. Uh, lived out, I got friends that came, went to a town just recently, um, and the rest of their family is not Catholic, but they go to a, a church. And my friends um, ordered their entire weekend around Mass. Mm-hmm. Right, it's just all there was to it. And so they drove an hour to my parish. They wanted to see me too on a Saturday evening so that they could attend on Sunday morning with their friends for this other thing and family for this other thing. And they're just like, no, we're going to order everything. And they're just like, we're going to come. We're going to go to confession. We're going to go to Mass. And then the rest of the week, they ordered. It was a sacrifice. It was inconvenient. Uh, but they're just like, so? Right. It's everything's going to be ordered around this and all, that's all there is to it. Now yeah. it's not just the Sunday obligation that we have to order our life around but so many other things, right? But it's when it's lived out it's just so edifying. And what is this saying to it's our so children? Edifying. Right? Like this is like like it, again, th- like if we're trying to pass on the faith, what is it saying to our kids like we're ordering our whole weekend around holy mass. It's not like oh we're going to go to soccer practice, we're going to go to the soccer game, football game and all these things and then we'll squeeze mass in as well. It's like, no. No, it's like, you're not going to actually play in the first game of that tournament on Sunday morning. And I'm going to tell your coach. And, the, and then the coach is the coach is like, what, you're, you're not going to be here for the first game of the tournament on Sunday morning? It's like, no, there's mass. I don't know why you scheduled this tournament during mass. Right. And and they're like, well, it's the weekend. It's what we have to do. It's like, no, actually, we're going to, our kid's not going to, but your kid's the best player on the team. I don't care. God is number one in our life. Yeah, we're going to basket, go to mass. Basketball's not the most important thing in my life. Right. And it just, it just, the coach would be like, I don't get it. Except that it's 
awakening something is like, oh, wait, when's the last time I went to church? Uh-huh. <laughs> like, where are my priorities? Right. You yeah. know? And the kids are like, yeah, I don't mass. I miss a game, but then I scored whatever, 20 points in the next game, blah, 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 or whatever. You know, like it's just, I mean, it comes with sacrifice and it comes with tough conversations, but it's, it's just good. And it's also being intentional. This is something that, uh, the Niles do really well. And like we've kind of incorporated in our lives is also on Sundays. It's like, we don't go to the store or we do not go to a restaurant together. I used to be like, Oh, after mass, let's go to a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And like, well, I'm not judging anybody who does that. Like that's, it's not a bad thing in and of itself. But, uh, what's happening there is now the person who is working on Sunday has to work because you want to go to, you want to go eat at a restaurant. Right. Why don't we just go home? I know. And, uh, Anyway, go ahead. No, it's tricky. It's tricky. I mean, the Holy Father, uh, John Paul II, wrote Dies Domini, and it's really helpful. Um, it's not a slavish Sabbath of the Old Testament, and um, it's it's uh, it's a challenging read on both sides mm-hmm. of what does the freedom look like and what does what does the uh, prescription look like. And so I, I recommend it to everybody. Read Dies Domini. Christians do not have a weekend. Christians have a Lord's Day. I love that distinction that he draws. Mm. So simple. For Christians, there is no weekend. For Christians, there is the Lord's Day. And so it's like, okay, how is Saturday different from Sunday? And just, I'm walking through that in parishes. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, what is sa- what's Saturday event? Mm-hmm. What's Sunday event? Saturday, mow the lawn, not Sunday. Right, right. Uh, Sunday, but it's such an easy, it's a perfect time to mow the lawn. Yeah, guess what? That's the Lord's Day. But, and we're made Give it for to rest. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Give it to the Trinity. So mow your lawn on Saturday. But I wanted to go do this, and it's fun. I want to hang out with my friends on Saturday. Yep, do that on Sunday. Refreshment with your friends and these right. other things that you want to do are perfect for Sunday. It's what the Lord's Day is for. Saturday is uh, your day to catch up, whatever, but there's a difference. And just making those distinctions like, oh, yeah, so I just have to flip everything. Basically, yes, mm-hmm. we basically have to flip everything. Right. Work hard on Saturday uh, and then rest on Sunday yeah. or whatever. It's an ordering principle right. that has a rippling effect throughout your life that will you'll find oh now there's more order in these other things too i was i heard this uh story i think it was a priest telling a story about when he was a seminarian living on a farm or something i missed the beginning of the story but I heard, <laughs> i'm glad you're telling it i heard the important <laughs> part no but we're it, on chapter four and i'm with you yeah, yeah. The point was, he was talking about this family, how they would work so hard on Saturday. I mean, because when you're on a farm, yep. there are things that have to be done every right. day, okay? Right. Um, and But they would, their Saturdays were just crazy. Yep. And they would do all of this prep. All I mean, it was, there's just no rest. But then on Sunday, it was all ready, and they could have this just magnificent, leisurely, mm-hmm. glorious Lord's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was talking about just the influence that had on him and the way you you know he thought about the world and <clears throat> what am I what should I be doing uh, and it was just really a beautiful story it made me think about what am I doing on Saturday mm-hmm. because there is a temptation to oh Saturday is actually the day of rest that's when I right. do all of the stuff I want to do but which means everything gets pushed to Sunday right. and you're in you're a slave now to your choices of yesterday, you know, on Saturday. Exactly right. Yeah. I want to come back to uh, those four saints that we just talked about, because what we're talking about here, this edifying story or those lives of people, there's a temptation um, for us to uh, look at edifying behavior and to fault prey. This is, uh, I'll explain this. We fall prey to awe rather than admiration. And I learned this from a, an ultra marathoner. Um, she had the she had the American record. So I was a chaplain for Institute of Sports at the University of Mary. It was a super cool gig. I got to hang out with 450 Division II athletes all day, all day every day. Sweet. And we had an integration um, of Faith, Virtue, and Sport Institute that I created, and then we had. So she came to it and spoke at it. And she uh, is an ultra marathoner. She had the American record for the 24 uh, hour run. You run as far as you can for 24 hours. Oh, man. There's no end. You just go as far as you can for 24 hours. Sometimes I hear stuff and it's like, how did they get anyone to do that? (laughs) Yeah. She had the record, right? Um, And she's she's, But she's a philosopher by training and a devout Christian. She uh, articulates a distinction between uh, awe and admiration or admiration and imitation. I have to go back. But anyway, on the side of awe is I see something awesome and I'm wowed by it, but there's nothing in me that says, how can I approach it in my life? There's no appropriation. She's like, don't do that. So like when we talk about St. Teresa of Avila, when we talk about St. Benedict, when we talk about the preaching friars, when we talk about Mother Teresa, we can fall prey to this like, that is so awesome. 
And then there's no like, what am I going to do about it? Because I can't reach that. Yeah. They're saints or whatever. But imitation is what we're supposed to do. Not just sit back and say, that's awesome. Okay, how can I put that into my life? How can I imitate it? What, I don't have to do it the same way. It's going to be creative. It's going to be different. It's going to be particular. But how can I live? How can I begin to live that in a way that ma- makes sense in my life? That's not foreign to my vocation, not foreign to the the construct of my life. But I can begin to live the what's behind it. And so this is this is my thing. Is like don't be awed by the saints. Imitate them. Mm-hmm. So, what can we do for Saturday and Sunday? How can I imitate it? Yeah. Yeah. You, you know uh, the WWJD bracelets that used to be so popular. Um, I think, you know, that's great. But really, I think a better question is what would the saints do? Mm. Because sometimes it's like, well, what would Jesus do? I don't know. Like, multi- save the world, m- multiply yeah. loaves, die on a cross, <laughs> ascend into heaven. I'm not sure. None of those things I can do. Yeah. But uh, when you say, like, well, what would the saints do? These are just regular people. Now, I, I can do those things, you know. Um, it's, I, to me, that's a. St. Paul says it this way be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So yeah. he puts himself up as a refraction of the gift of Christ. It's like, it, but imitate what you see of Christ in me, imitate that. So you can see it. They're icons of Christ. Saints are icons of Christ. They, they give us a, 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 an insight into a, a characteristic or an element of an attribute of the virtue of the heart of, of Christ. And then we can, we can imitate it. Yeah. Uh, so what would you suggest? So the guys are listening right now. They're like, okay, I'm going to, I got to get my, my life in order. Mm-hmm. How do you, Put the highest things at the highest spots in your life. Like, what do you do? Like, how do you how do you order your life? What would you what what, what like practical advice would you give them? Uh, well, Aquinas says that uh, what it, it has to be first in intention. Um, it might be last in execution, but it has to be for, what's first in your intention, heaven. Okay, so then what actions need to take place so that I can arrive at that reality? Um, and then everything falls into place from there. So, I mean, it's not hard. Uh, we've been given a map. Um, we've been given divine revelation. We've been given the catechism. We've been given all kinds of helps along the way. Uh, the commandment, follow the commandments, love God, love neighbor. Okay. Practically, what does that look like? I think in the back of the daily Roman missile, um, the small version that you can get has everything in it. It has how to be a good Catholic. And it says, what can I do every day? What can I do every week? What can I do every month? What can I do every year? And it gives some really good practicals, uh, for the spiritual life anyway. Um, and the life of virtue. I think that's really helpful. So like, I, I don't go to confession every day, but I can go to confession every week, but I probably shouldn't go once a year. I should probably go once a week, once a month, somewhere in there. So like, okay, what can I, you know, these different habits mm. that I can put in date. So every day I can't make a week long retreat, but once a year I can make a weekend or week long retreat, but every day I should have a time of prayer. So what does it look like? Silence uh, on a daily, on a weekly, on a monthly, on an annual. I think that's a really good help for building a basic orarium uh, and rhythm of life. And so I, I hand that out to everybody. Um, uh, practically, there's a it's a it's a typical Protestant thing, but it's the discipleship wheel. Uh, so Christ is at the center, and there's four spokes that come out: um, word, scripture reading, um, study of scripture or of some other thing, and then fellowship and witness. And I think I'm missing one. I got one goofed up there, but uh, word worship. Uh, uh, testimony, witness, these different things, fellowship. Uh, so who am, am I communing with Christians? Am I testifying to someone in my life? You know, these different things, like you can kind of build a pattern around certain anchors. Um, but yeah, Christ, Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. So he's first. So what, what needs to fall under that? You know? So uh, my last question for you, Father, is about the people who on these Pew Studies reports you know, there's just this huge percentage of people who say they don't believe in the real presence of Christ in the yep. Eucharist. Um, so if you're one of those people, and, you know, you can at least appreciate their honesty, that that they're saying, yeah, I don't believe that. Okay, that's good. You've started with step one. You're admitting that you don't believe this. Mm-hmm. Instead of, it's better than lying and just pretending to believe it when you really don't. Right. But if you're one of those people, what would, what should they do to believe it, you know, if, if that's something that they really just don't believe, what should they do about it? They don't believe it, but they want to be a good Catholic. I don't know. I mean, because okay. these are these are people who go to mass every Sunday. You yeah. know, they say, you know, it's this huge, huge, huge percentage of people who still say they don't believe in the real presence. Right. So uh, I presume they want to be good Catholics. Yeah. So it's tricky because uh, there's a lot. Everything's tricky, um, but they're a product of so many isms. Um. We all are. We're all a product of so many isms. Yeah. So secularism. There's really not. There's really no God. 
uh, practical atheism, um, consumerism, uh, yeah, just leave my life alone. I'll, 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 I'll minimalism. I'll just go to mass and like, leave me alone the rest of the week. They're rushing for the door as soon as mass is over. I mean, um, there's so many isms that we all fall prey to, uh, we can all fall prey to. And so, um, that person needs an encounter. And so it's probably not on that person. It's probably on someone else. If the priest is preaching Christ and the infinite riches found in him in a compelling way, rather than telling stories about whatever blah thing is that people are like, oh, I feel good today. And he's not preaching Christ. Um, if he's preaching Christ and people are ex- uh, giving example of that and people are encountering this person saying, man, it's great to see you at mass. Uh, you want to come over to my house? I think it's, I think those kinds of persons um, are my responsibility and yours, the people who are believers. It's, it's um, so like take, take the example of um, what about the people that are in Africa and they've never heard the gospel. Uh, are they going to be saved and not going to be saved? They never had an opportunity to, to acknowledge Christ. Um, my typical response to that is Christ in his own way knows how to bring them the gospel so that they have an opportunity for salvation. But you're going to be the one who's judged. Why didn't they hear it? Mm-hmm. Why didn't they hear it? Yeah. That's on you. And you're gonna, I'm going to be judged for that. So I take that seriously. In my parish, if there's someone, I call them bumps on a log, and they come and they put in their time. That's my job is to preach a word that will rouse them, mm. uh, to get into their heart, to get into their mind, to be, to be praying and discerning what is going to be captivating, what's going to open their mind, what's going to jar them a little bit so that they're like, wait a second, maybe I should take a second look. And it's your job in the pews to be like, who are the people that seem like they're just bumps on a log? How can I engage them and try to wake them up to like the fullness of life in Christ? And then it's an adventure and dynamic and explosive and, and wild and it, and, it's, and, it, and it taxes my interior life because it's like, oh, I got to confront stuff and not just be dull and put it all on on ice or whatever the thing is is our job the the alive ones Mm -hmm. to reach them rather than them to take steps because they're just they're they're a product of whatever they've been given so i put it on us the missionary impulse i like it yeah well it's i mean you're gonna be judged for it so yeah well I, I got a lot of problems. So <laughs> Purgatory is going to be better. I don't. Let's not go yeah, back to yeah, that. Yeah, so go back to that. Hey, Father, thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us today. It's been a blast, and I appreciate you taking the time to to be with us. I think a lot of people are going to be like they did not talk about the Eucharistic revival, uh, but I think we did. I think we did. Yeah, yeah spot on. Boom. I mean, yeah. Amen. You know what? Listen to it again if you don't think we talked. <laughs> yeah. About it, right. It's in there. Trust me. <laughs>